that is not the case. Uh, as I'm addressed it a little bit this morning, we're going to be looking at uh, just some of the identity issues that we are uh, running, having issues with in our nation, our country. And there is an, an attack on identity. Uh, there's an attack on our ladies uh, and identity. There is an attack on men uh, and their identity, male, female. Uh, God's order is what's under attack. It has nothing to do with what you or I think. It has nothing to do with the political culture of our day. What does God say? And that has to be our foundation. As believers, we have to be able to step back and we're not arguing our own position. We have got to be able to look and say, what does God say? And that is our basis. That is our basis for truth. So tonight here in Ephesians chapter 5, we just looked at some of God's order. God's order. He has, he has an order. Okay, so let's look at it again in Ephesians 5.21. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy with and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives, even as their own body. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man yet ever hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment, with promise that it may be well with thee, and thou, that thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart, as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men." Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And so here we just see some order uh, that God has, God's order. Uh, we see God's order in the family unit. Uh, there is the, the uh, uh, husband, the wife, 
and the children. And that is God's order. Uh, that's not man's order. That's God's order. God is the one that defines marriage. God is the one that defined the home, established the home. So you have the husband, the wife, and the children. So we see God's order in the family. We see God's order in the church. Christ is the head of the church. All right, then Christ is the head of the church. Then you have the pastor, the elder, uh, the bishop. Uh, so uh, the office of the pastor, and then you have uh, the people. And so that is, that is God's order. But God is, the Lord is the, the head of the church. The church belongs to him. He purchased it with his blood. Uh, the pastor is not the head of the church. Christ is the head of the church. Uh, that's why uh, we need to know what the Bible says. Uh, I know that there are enough faithful uh, members that if I got up and preached something heretical, I'd get called out on it, and I should. And the church needs to make sure that uh, the, the, the operation of the church is according to Christ's plan. So uh, we have the God's order in the, the family. We have God's order in the church. Then we have even God's order uh, in uh, vocation. Uh, there is uh, the, the employer. Uh, there's the employee. Uh, and with that, there is order. Everything has to have order order has nothing to do with value of people has nothing to do with competency of people has nothing to do with qualifications so what it has to do with is God's order he lays it out and with that we then have got to follow God's order now, when I have been looking at the, uh, just the situation in our country and the attack on identity, I don't want us as believers to cave to the cultural pressure, the cancel culture pressure, to where we become silent. God has an order. And God has made us all differently. God's made men, and he wants the men to be men. Amen. God's made ladies, and he wants the ladies to be ladies. God has given us children, and he wants those children to grow up to be the, the young lady or the young man that God has created them to be. So, so with that then, we've got to make sure that we're not backing off of what we believe based on what somebody might label us with. All right, that term toxic masculinity is all over the place. You know what has happened? Guys have backed off. They have stepped back from being leaders because they don't want to be labeled as toxic mass, a toxic man. Now, when I say that, that does not mean that we don't have ladies that are leaders. We have strong, competent, qualified ladies who are leaders. You say, Pastor, what, do you have a problem with a woman being a pastor? 
I have zero problem with a woman being a pastor if she can meet the qualifications. I don't have any problem with it at all. But my Bible does say that she has to be, that a pastor has to be the husband of one wife. Has nothing to do with whether she knows her Bible, has nothing to do with whether she is a better speaker. It just has to do with what's God's order. And, and with that, we have to be able to know what we are to be, who we are to be, what our identity is, and we have to be comfortable with that. There has been an attack on motherhood. There's been an attack on motherhood. Uh, as though it is a bad thing for a lady to raise a family. That there's an attack on, on, on moms. There's an attack on the home. Now, it doesn't mean that every lady is going to raise, uh, raise a family, but all I am just saying is that there's, a, there's just an attack. And, and if we allow the culture of the day uh, to change us, uh, we are in trouble. We've got some, we've got kids that are following right behind us, and we better make sure that uh, the sound, that w- the trumpet sound that we blow, it is clear. And they know what that trumpet sound is. They know uh, what that message is, and they, they are not confused. There's enough confusion uh, in the world. And so uh, we're going to look at some of this tonight. And the message title is, Masculinity is Not Toxic. Masculinity is not toxic. And let's pray. Father, I pray that you'd help us tonight. Uh, Help me to help these people that I love. I pray that each of us would uh, just have clarity of thought and uh, open minds. And may you just use us tonight uh, to, uh, to be better prepared, Lord, for the battles that we face, uh, the things that are coming down the road at us. And Lord, help us just to be able to stand for truth, stand for righteousness. May you be glorified, please. For Christ's sake, we pray. Amen. I have got 40-something points and about 50-something verses and, uh, let's see, about 9 or 10 pages of type notes tonight. So I'm going to go fast. I'll, I'll speak fast. You listen fast, and we'll get done slow. How does that sound? Uh, so uh, I'm going to give you some characteristics. It's Father's Day. I'm just going to give you some characteristics of a godly man. And with that, uh, none of these should cause us to feel like we need to back off in our faith. Uh, now, these are, these are biblical truths that, ladies, uh, you can employ in your life as well. Uh, these are not only masculine, uh, but these are things that you can see in the godly men that we look, look the, uh, open our Bible up and we see people that exemplify these different characteristics. And so, uh, guys, I want you to uh, see these tonight. I want to make sure that we are teaching these to our boys. I want to make sure that they know how to be a young man. They know how to, how to uh, properly represent the Lord. How to take care of a family. These, these truths, they will help us uh, so much. So number one, we're going to look at uh, the, first, uh, the first characteristic. Number one is faithfulness. A godly man, you see faithfulness in them. Faithfulness. 
I, I thought about Abraham. Abraham was a man uh, who exemplified faith. Uh, we see over and over again in the scriptures how he was referred to as a man of faith. Uh, Romans chapter 4, and I'm going to give these to you quickly because uh, of time. Romans 4, 3, the Bible says, For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Galatians 3, 6, Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for for righteousness, James 2.23, and the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. So a godly man is a faithful man, a faithful man. And when we look at this faithfulness, we see faithfulness exhibited uh, across the board. Faithfulness to God, faithfulness to a spouse, faithfulness to the family, faithfulness to truth. We just need to be faithful. And faithfulness is something that we are seeing diminished. People's word does not, does not ring true anymore. Be faithful. That that is that is a characteristic. A godly man uh, will have will be a man of faithfulness. Number two, uh, a godly man will be a man of integrity. A man of integrity. Now, uh, when I think about integrity, I think about Jonathan. David was chosen to be king. Jonathan was Saul's son. He was next in line to be king. And we see how Jonathan recognized that David should be king, and it wasn't just about himself. He had the integrity to realize, just because that's a position that I could rightly have, he did not seek after that. He was a man of integrity. He even stood up against his dad, who was the king, and got his dad so mad at him uh, that his dad denied him being his son. You can't even be my son. Whose son are you? And he threw a javelin at his own son because... Because Jonathan was a man of integrity. 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 30, uh, the Bible says, And Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said unto him, Thou son of the perverse, rebellious woman, do not I know that thou hast chosen the son of Jesse to thine own confusion, and unto the confusion of thy mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse liveth upon the ground, thou shalt not be established, nor thy kingdom. Wherefore now send and fetch him unto me, for he shall surely die. And Jonathan answered Saul his father and said unto him, Wherefore shall he be slain? What hath he done? You see, Jonathan, he was a man of integrity. He wasn't, he wasn't self-serving. And he had that integrity. We need to have integrity. Men, have integrity. Don't cave to the pressures of those around you. Don't cave just because you might be the minority at a, in a conversation. Family gets together. 
and you might be the minority, don't give in. I'm not saying be argumentative, but be a man of integrity. Let that strength show. It is an inner strength that should come out. Uh, they, they measure the strength of steel, and it's called tensile strength. And with that tensile strength, they can determine the weight load. And we need to be able to have that integrity. They say that, that, a, that a, a man that really knows steel, they can, they can hit that steel with a ball-peen hammer and hear the ring, and they can tell whether or not that steel has integrity. You know, we, it is under pressure that integrity is revealed. You can look at those, you can look at uh, men and you can see, well, they all, they all you know, just, just looks, looks like another man. But you'll find out whether or not there's integrity when the pressure comes. And we need to stand, uh, have integrity. So a godly man will uphold high moral standards, will practice uh, honesty and transparency. They'll be consistent in their actions. Uh, they'll just be men uh, of, uh, of integrity. Uh, he strives to align his behavior with his beliefs. Our beliefs and our behavior, they should go hand in hand. Just like an I-beam. And, and they go the same direction. They should not go different ways. They should go the same direction. So uh, men, of, uh, uh, men uh, th they, should have, they should have, number one, that faithfulness. That Number two, that characteristic of, of uh, integrity. Number three, humility. Humility. You know, a godly, a godly man is humble. Humble. Now, when I think about humility, I think about a man by the name of Ananias. We know very little about Ananias. Brother Franklin mentioned him this morning in Sunday school. But Ananias was just, he was a disciple. He was just a follower of the Lord. But he was willing to submit himself to the Lord's will even to the point of putting himself into danger. So Ananias, uh, in uh, Acts chapter 9, verse 10 through 17, uh, you see him, uh, how he submitted to the Lord, and then he went, uh, and he went to Saul. Uh, and the Bible says that, uh, verse number 17, and Ananias went his way and entered into the house, putting his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. A humility, a godly man recognizes his need for God's grace and acknowledges his own limitations. We, ha we all have limitations. And with that, we should be humble. We, we need to have that humility, uh, esteeming others above themselves, uh, displaying a humble spirit, a teachable spirit. Uh, so uh, a godly man, uh, they will have that, uh, that characteristic. Number four, uh, a godly man uh, will, be, will have wisdom. Will have wisdom. Now when I think about wisdom, of course, I think about Solomon. Solomon was a man that God gave understanding and wisdom. 
that understanding, that wisdom, uh, they go hand in hand. First Kings chapter 3, verse 7 to 13, uh, we see how uh, Solomon became king. And now he prays before the Lord, asking God to give him understanding so he could know how to uh, rule uh, the people of God, to, uh, to be the king that he needed to be. Uh, and, but in verse number 11, God said unto him, Because thou hast asked this thing, and hast not asked for thyself long life, neither hast asked riches for thyself, nor hast asked the life of thine enemies, but hast asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment, Behold, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have given thee a wise and an understanding heart, so that there was none like thee before thee, neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. And I have also given thee that which thou hast not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be any among the kings like unto thee all thy days." And so, uh, what do we see? We see that, that in, this, uh, in this man, uh, a godly man, they are going to seek wisdom uh, from God, and they will apply it to their decision-making processes. Who makes our decisions for us? You know, we really shouldn't have to make many decisions. No, pastor, we make decisions all the time. I know, but our principles should make our decision for us. You see, if we have to make a decision every time we are presented with an issue, then we've got a 50-50 chance of making a bad decision. But if we establish principles to live by, that's what this book is filled with. You open up the book of Proverbs, it is principle, 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 principle. Those principles are not commands. Those principles are for us to choose wisdom. Proverbs chapter 8, uh, I wisdom, uh, as speaking, wisdom is just speaking, crying out. Uh, and with that, uh, wisdom wants us to choose right. And we are given these principles to live by. Why? So we don't make bad decisions. Uh, and a godly man, a, a man uh, that God would want, he would want each of us to be, is going to be a man that has that understanding, has that wisdom. And that, that goes uh, to all of us, uh, but it is going to be exhibited there. A godly man is going to seek wisdom uh, from God, and he's going to apply it in those decision-making processes, in his interactions. He values and pursues God's word. So, so here we see that a godly man uh, is going to seek wisdom. Number five, a godly man is going to have love. He's going to be a man that shows love. Now, when I think about this individual, I think about David. David, though he was a warrior, David was a man after God's own heart. David was a man who was, was able to communicate his heart to people. When we, when we have struggles, where do we go? We run to the book of Psalm. Why? Because of all the, uh, the emotion that is there, all of the feeling that is there, the love that is there, love for God, love for people, the understanding of how to deal with 
uh, the burdens uh, that we face. Uh, but in Acts chapter 13, even after David had sinned against Uriah, even after he had sinned with Bathsheba, uh, God said uh, that he was going to seek out uh, David, was the son of Jesse, uh, a man after mine own heart. David had a heart, and that heart, that was a, a heart that had a love for God, but also had a love for people. And you know what? A godly man should be a person that has love. There should be love in our heart. You know, when they talk about toxic masculinity, uh, they often want to make it out as though that everything is love. Everything is not love. but there still should be love. The Lord said, be, be angry and sin not. So there are times to be angry, but we should not be angry people. Sometimes we, we interact with angry people. And that's not how we are supposed to, uh, to, to live. Uh, we, sh we should be a people uh, that love. Uh, we see uh, next... Uh, that, uh, oh, before I go there, uh, a godly man is going to embody love in all his relationships. He loves God with all his heart, his soul, his mind, his strength. Uh, he loves his neighbor as himself. Uh, so there is going to be that love. Husband is going to love his wife. Uh, that is, that should just come out. It should just be who we are. Uh, then number six, leadership. Leadership. Men should have leadership. We are placed in the home in a position of leadership. Now, my wife is a leader. And she lets me lead sometimes. She is a leader. But she also knows that I'm going to be the one that's going to stand before the Lord for our home. And ultimately, I've got to make the decisions. Now, that doesn't mean that I make the decisions without her counsel. That's foolish, guys. That's foolish. So, so with that, we do need to, be, we need to be strengthened in this area of leadership. We need to be learning. Just because you're a, you're a male does not make, mean that you are a good leader. But you will have a position of leadership because God has given you that within the home. But we have to learn. We have to, to grow in that area. Uh, I think about Moses. Uh, Moses is my favorite leader in the Bible. When I think about leadership principles, I look at Moses' life, I look at all the issues that he has. I've got a stack of notes, no joke, about that thick, uh, just on all the, the scenarios that Moses ran into as a leader and how things turned out. 
and you, you look at that, it helps us in our decision-making process. Uh, but in Exodus chapter 3, verses 9 to 14, uh, you can see the call of God on Moses' life. Uh, and Moses was also a humble leader. He was meek. Uh, he was the meekest man uh, of the earth. So he could have been uh, that one for, uh, for humility as well. But in Exodus 3, verse 9, Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me, and I also I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? Uh, And yet we see how God used this man uh, to be the leader uh, of the nation of Israel. He he took him uh, from, from being a... Pharaoh, or Moses was a somebody for the first 40 years of his life. He was raised by Pharaoh's daughter. He had the best education. He had the best teaching. He had the best circumstances. He spent the next 40 years of his life learning that he was a nobody on the backside of the desert uh, of Midian. And then he spent the last, uh, the last uh, 40 years of his life uh, figuring out uh, what God could do with a person that learned lesson number one and lesson number two that he was a somebody, he was a nobody, uh, but yielded to, get to God, God could use him. Uh, and he was a great leader. So there are leader, leadership principles. A godly man will understand the responsibility of leadership. Respon- leadership is not a right, it is a responsibility. It's a responsibility. And with that leadership, with that responsibility, we have have got to be willing to take those places of responsibility. You know what? We need to be teaching our boys to stand up under pressure. You know, life is not easy. We can't just expect our kids just to have fun And then somewhere along the line, there's going to be a little button that's flipped. And then all of a sudden, they're going to be this responsible, hardworking, principled person. It doesn't work that way. We've got to be teaching them all along the way. That leadership. So a godly man understands that that responsibility of leadership, leadership within his family, leadership within his church, leadership within the community. We need to take take that responsibility uh, and steward that influence with wisdom uh, and with humility. Uh, Number seven, I think about servanthood. Characteristic of a godly man, servanthood. That, uh, That being a servant, You know, the Lord said that he came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. He came not to be served, but to serve. And we need to be people of servitude. We need to be people who are willing to serve. Uh, Servanthood. When I think about servanthood, I think about Joshua. 
Joshua was a leader in his own right. He was a general uh, of Moses. He was, he was a, a leader uh, in the armies, yet he was a servant uh, in Joshua chapter 1 and verse number 1. As, as Joshua is taking the place of Moses, uh, the Bible says, Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give them, even to the children of Israel. And you read down through verse number five, and you see how God has now given him that instruction. Uh, but what do we have? We have a, a leader in his own right, but was also known as being a servant. And we need to be able to change hats. We need to be able to lead when we need to lead, but we also need to be able to serve. And so here we see that with Joshua. Number eight, uh, I've got 10 of these, so I'm going uh, quickly here. Number eight, courage. Courage. We need to be men of courage. I think about a man of courage in the Bible, and I think about Nathan the prophet. I can't imagine what Nathan was thinking. David the king has sinned, and God tells him, you go call him out for his sin. The other person I think about was John the Baptist. And that courage cost him his head. But he was still a man of courage. But going back to Nathan, we have Nathan the prophet going to stand before the king and he tells him a story. And it's a dumb story. It's almost a, it is a, it's a sissy type story almost. This, this man he had, a, he had a little lamb. And it was his only child. And I'm thinking, what kind of dumb story is this? But here we find that God used that story, used the heart of David to convict David. David had a love for people, even in his failures. And God used that in and David said, surely this man will die. And Nathan looked at him and said, thou art the man. Can you imagine being that guy to call the king out to his face? And we're not just talking about some man. We're talking about David, the one that killed Goliath. David didn't have to hide behind anybody else. He took care of his own stuff. And here you have the prophet standing up and calling him out. You know, the Bible tells us that we are not to be respecter of persons and judgment. We're to stand for truth regardless. And you know what that's going to take? That's going to take courage. It's going to take courage. It'll take courage within your own marriage. 
It'll take courage just with your family relationships. Courage is needed. And we need courage to be able to stand for the Lord. We need courage to be able to raise a family for God. It takes courage in this day. And so uh, courage, I think about Nathan and, and that courage. A godly man is going to exhibit courage in his faith, standing firm in the face of adversity. No matter what the uh, potential outcome, he's going to stand for truth. Number nine, forgiveness. Characteristic of a godly man. Forgiveness. Being willing to forgive. Genesis chapter 50, we have a man by the name of Joseph. And Joseph forgave his brothers. He was mistreated, he was wronged on so many levels, yet he still forgave. So when we look at that, Genesis 50, verse 15 to 21, uh, you see there uh, just how that, uh, that whole scenario worked out. Uh, the people, his brothers, they said, So shall ye say to Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin, for they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of thy God, of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him, and his brethren also went and fell down before his face. And they said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God. But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. What do we find? We just find that there was that forgiveness, that forgiveness. A godly man understands the power of forgiveness. We will be wronged. We've got to forgive. If we don't forgive, we become bitter. And that doesn't do anybody any good. Number 10, lastly, a man of compassion. Compassion. When I think about compassion, I, the individual that came to mind was, was Barnabas. Barnabas was a man who who had care for a young believer by the name of Saul. He was the one that went to the church and encouraged them to accept him. He took a chance on somebody. You know what? We need to take chances on people. When we, we show compassion it is going to be exhibited that we care for people. Uh, the compassion, Acts 9, 27. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how that he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And so here Barnabas saw something in that young believer. Uh, verse Chapter number 11, verse 22. Uh, again, we see uh, Barnabas uh, that uh, uh, he, he was uh, showing that compassion. Uh, and at the end of that, verse 25, uh, the Bible says that uh, Barnabas went to uh, Tarsus for to seek 
Saul. Now he's going back after him three years later and is going to try to bring him back. Uh, Acts eleven twenty two to 25. So a godly man is going to distribute, or demonstrate compassion and empathy towards others, will invest in other people. Uh, and with this, uh, these, these, are, these are biblical traits that can apply to everyone. But on Father's Day, men, these are, these are things that we have got to live. These aren't just things that, oh yeah, that sounds good. These need to be guiding principles. These need to be characteristics that are a part of who we are. And so uh, when I think about uh, toxic masculinity and all of the things that uh, they throw at manhood as though manhood is a bad thing, a godly man is not going to be toxic. They're not going to be toxic. You're going to be spirit-led. You're going to live according to the principles of God's word. And there won't be anything toxic about it. Now, does that mean that there won't be disagreements? Does that mean that we are going to uh, uh, be apathetic towards uh, wrong? Absolutely not. But, but being a man is not toxic. Being a man and having that confidence in who God made you to be and living out who he wants us to be there's nothing toxic about masculinity. Father, I pray that you'd help us. Thank you for uh, your word. Thank you for the instruction you give uh, to us out of it, the examples uh, of people within, within the scripture. And then, Lord, I pray that you'd help us uh, to live out the, uh, the characteristics that you'd want us to have. And so I pray that you would bless our homes, bless our families, uh, bless each individual. Help us, Lord, to be who you'd want us to be. And may you be glorified by the results there, please. For Christ's sake, we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. We'll have a short invitation. Lord spoke to your heart tonight. You respond. Masculinity, there's nothing toxic. It is not toxic.